Okay, let's go. Nicolas Cage Podcast Nicolas Cage Podcast Nee, 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 nee Vond je een film van Nicolas Cage leuk? Dan zou het kunnen dat hij in deze podcast zit Nicolas Cage Podcast Na 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 National Treasure Hi everybody and welcome to National Treasure The podcast where I, your host Brandon Culler Talks about Nicolas Cage movies Nicolas Cage Podcast It's the most wonderful time of the year And that time is whenever you are listening to this episode Because it is a very wonderful and special episode You might hear it if you've heard the podcast before But now I'm speaking English I'm very sorry for my accent But there is a reason why I'm speaking English It's because my special guest for this very special episode speaks English She is a librarian, an editor, a freelance writer with a special interest in zines, comics, film and youth culture. She is also the writer of the book National Treasure, the book this podcast is based on. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to her and I love to share this conversation with you. So, welcome to the cage stage, Lindsay Gibb. No, 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 no. Hey, hello, Lindsay Gibb. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm a bit nervous because you are my first uh, non-Dutch speaking guest on the show. So I'm a bit jittery, but uh, grand. Um, (laughs) Thank you for talking to me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for inviting me. (laughs) Well, um, yeah, Uh, you're welcome, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the reason I wanted to talk to you uh, on this special day is, uh, well, first, we have the entirety season of National Treasure the Podcast, and you're the person that inspired me to make this podcast. Oh, really? Yes, because <laughs> you've written this book that is called National Treasure by Lindsay Gibb, and yes. it's all about how your love for uh, Nicolas Cage now has sources and has been stated by facts that he indeed is the greatest actor of all time. <laughs> yes. So I wanted to ask you, what inspired you to write this book? Um, I think it was the fact that I, I casually liked him. Um, and then I would notice that people would, you know, speak badly about some of his films and specifically like target him and say like he's a bad actor, or he ba- chooses bad movies or something. And I would just feel like they were so wrong just from this, the bit of evidence I had from watching a handful of his films. And then, so I would argue with people. And then I, um, I live in Toronto and the Toronto International Film Festival has a year round cinema here. Cool. I think I mentioned this in my book, but yeah, I, uh, 
they did a retrospective on him and me and my husband were like, oh my God, we gotta go because I've been defending Nicolas Cage to people all this time. I need to just like get more evidence. <laughs> and then after that, we were just like, okay, we gotta go down the rabbit hole and watch everything. So we started a film club where our friends would come over once a month and watch one of his films. Wow. And we did that for like three years, I think, before I pitched this book. And then by then I had lots of uh, ammunition to write the book. <laughs> lots of conversations about Cage had been had prior to that. So there is a Cage club in Canada. <laughs> There's multiple, actually. So my club existed probably up until my book came out. And then we kind of just, I also moved. So I didn't live in a condo that had a theater room anymore to do it. So um, we stopped in like 2015 and then... A few years ago, a new club uh, that like existed uh, in Toronto contacted me and asked me to come and be a guest at one of their um, like meetings. And yeah. so I've attended their group quite a few times. And they're a, a big group of very enthusiastic people. I think they're, are they called Cage of the Month? Uh, it's terrible that I don't <laughs> remember exactly what they're called. But yeah, they watch, uh, they have like a, a bingo spinner. You know, oh, like God. a big thing. And yeah, they have, yeah, yeah. like, the balls inside, and he's written the name of each movie on the balls, and that's how they decide which movie to watch. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, it's really good. B7, Mandy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got a bingo. <laughs> that would be great. That's because he, there are a lot of films. I've, uh, at this yeah. moment, I think there are 107 films. That sounds about right. It's definitely over a hundred at this yeah. point. Yeah, I'm doing ten a season, so I'm in for ten seasons. Oh wow! Yeah, I was gonna say. Once you get to the ten seasons, there'll be at least fifty more to watch by that point. Of course. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he makes about five a year, it seems. So yeah, yeah. it's hard to catch up. Very hard. <laughs> Can you describe the first time you saw a Nicolas Cage film? Uh, it's so hard to know because I'm sure I was very young when I saw my first Cage film. But I think, I think the first one I remember seeing was It Could Happen to You. Yeah. Um, I don't think I had strong feelings about It Could Happen to You. I think I was just like, eh, this is a movie. Um, yeah, I, unfortunately, that is not like a big, strong moment <laughs> for Cage for me. <laughs> Um, it's okay. but <laughs> I think the first, one of the first times that I remember being like, oh yeah, this guy is seriously amazing, uh, was adaptation. And I know that that's like super recently, uh, especially compared to it can happen to you, but <laughs> well, I think actually maybe I'd seen wild at heart before that too. And I was like, whoa, like I had watched that because I was a big David Lynch fan. And then I was like, wow, Nicolas Cage is so good in this. And then oh, yeah. seeing adaptation just like solidified the Nicolas Cage is the best. <laughs> He's so good. Yeah. Those are great films, especially Wild Heart. It's one of my top favorites of the Cage uh, movies. Me I saw too. that one when I was 16. I did art school and we had a class in film and that opened my gates to David Lynch, but also to Wrecking for a Dream. Um, just great films that hit you differently. Uh, but my first Cage movie ever was City of Angels because oh. my mom really likes that film. And I, my first thought was, 
well, this is a weird movie. I'm not, <laughs> I, I don't know how to feel. But then I saw Next. So Next is my first, okay, this is a Cage film. And you're going to watch it because of Cage. And I love right. it. I love that film. Also, not yeah. the, 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 the strongest uh, choice, but it's a choice. <laughs> no, it's kind of cool to have sort of those random Cage films that mean something to you because uh, yeah. no one else, no one else knows those films, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so they're you extra special. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's every time I see that film or clips of it. The same with Lord of War because that's such a good movie. I always get that feeling that I'm back in that small apartment with that. Uh, t- Tiny big TV. television with the VCR. Oh. oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, I got that one when I did my uh, second communion, Belgian World Christians and all that. Um, so you oh. get gifts, and my sister got me this tiny, but just already too big television uh, with a VCR inside of it. I can watch oh, the tape. Oh, yes, yes. I'm familiar with those TVs. <laughs> What is your favorite performance uh, in an Nick Cage film, if you can choose? Yeah, it is hard to choose. I feel like I stick with the same answer all the time, but as I see more and more like newer films, I mm-hmm. feel like he, he, like some of those could usurp this. But like Vampire's Kiss, I feel like is the like foundational Nicolas Cage film that I think helps people to understand him. Like, if you've seen mm-hmm. Vampire's Kiss and then you see, like, Mandy or something newer, you can, like, yeah. see the evolution and understand where he's coming from. And Vampire's Kiss is just, I feel like, such an experimental move with mm-hmm. a film. And, yes. like, especially for someone who is already establishing himself as, like, a kind of a leading man, like an A-list actor to do something like like a indie film like Vampire's Kiss that also just has a very weird premise (laughs) and uh but it also just let him I feel like the director just let him do everything he wanted to do in that case whereas I feel like Raising Arizona is such a good movie but I don't Mm -hmm. think that the Coen brothers let him do what he wanted they were like this is what we this is how we envision this character this is what you're gonna do um, he did an amazing job with it, but he had to, I'm sure, compromise a lot of his own ideas for it. Whereas Vampire's Kiss, I feel like, is like full cage. That's all him. Yeah, he, he mentions it also in interviews that he's very proud of that film because of the artistic choices that he could make. Uh, for instance, with the eating of a live cockroach, uh, the rant in, of the alphabet that he choreographed every letter, yes. every move. I uh, because I'm also an actor. That to me is um, the the study of of your instrument. It is working with how can you use your voice and your body in that way. And when reading your book, you talked about the Laban uh, Laban methods that uh, could work in I think adaptation was it? Yeah. Um, and that clicked for me. Enorm because uh, enormously because it is that it is the pulling and it is the consuming in Laban that he majestically does. It's it's a ballet. It's really just a ballet. Absolutely, yeah. His movements in a lot of his films are you can like again if you've watched Vampire's Kiss and then you can kind of see throughout other films when he has yeah. like these defined movements. You can imagine that each time he did 
that take like he was doing the exact same movements and he just had it all choreographed it's so good yeah exactly and he also says that in order to play face off he had to do vampire's kiss because it's an extension of uh, that experiment that he does you can see mm-hmm. it in his face when he has that fight scene in the prison that he has that wicked smile i think oh that is exactly has how he did it in vampire's kiss that is the creme de la creme, as we would say. Yes. <laughs> do you have a least favorite uh, performance? I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have least favorite film. I don't know if it's specifically because of his performance, but I just feel like there's certain films of him, of his, where the film isn't maybe the best, but I can see mm-hmm. like some great cage moments in it. And I feel like, um, oh gosh, remembering the name of this film. Uh, Season of the Witch. Ah, yes, Season of the I Witch. Don't, where he plays I the knight. Yeah, who's like trying to get rid of this witch. I, I, yeah, there's, I just, I mean, I think I've only watched it once or twice, so maybe if I'd watched it like 40 times, I, I could find something <laughs> in it, but I just didn't want to because <laughs> I did not like it very much. Um, so I think that, I think Left Behind is the other one that I don't, I don't have a lot of good feelings for. Yeah, I, I get your choices. I think Season of <laughs> the Witch has some moments, but it's 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 a weird choice, but then again, Cage pulls it off. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It, do you have it, a it, least favorite? Oh, God. I, do I have <laughs> a least favorite? Um, Oh, I, I I find that such a difficult question because uh, there are so many uh, films that I, I think know this is, this, he's great in it, but that is just uh, I think I'm pulling up his IMDb now so that I don't forget any films <laughs> <laughs> because, like you say, there's a hundred and something. Yeah, it's hard I, to remember them all. I I I, I might say G-force. Okay, is that because the he, hamster one? Yeah, that's the hamster one from <laughs> Disney. Because he has done oh. great voice acting, like in Spider-Man, uh, for instance, or in Astro Boy. I think there, the he's doing fantastically, but mm-hmm. the movie itself is just CGI hamsters, and <laughs> that is just not my vibe. That's fair. I, I haven't... That's one place where I'm falling behind with Cage. I've watched all of his movies, but I haven't watched all of his animated stuff. But I have watched G-Force. And I felt like Cage was really good in it. Like, oh, yeah. he was that mole, and it was like a zany, like, weird character. It was like full Cage. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I've watched Astro Boy. Uh, there's good. like a Christmas one I haven't watched. It's just a Christmas Carol, I think, but oh, I haven't, I haven't, wa- I haven't that. watched that. So yeah, there's a few. <laughs> and <laughs> is there for you a hidden gem that the general audience should see? Yes. Oh, I'm in on G-Force now. Um, let me... <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, just go see G-Force. It's no. hamsters. <laughs> Um, one that I feel like, uh, a lot of people don't know about, because I'm not sure that it really came out in theaters properly, was Army of One. Oh, Do you know which movie I'm talking about? That's the, it's the one where he plays the guy who, like a real life guy who 
went to Afghanistan to try and track down Osama bin Laden. And it's just like a very weird story. Um, but Cage like plays this, like, well, plays the guy and he's all like beardy and long haired and just like, he's, he's a weird guy. And so Cage is playing this weird guy and it's just <laughs> so funny. So funny. So yeah, it's a, it's a different, it's a different film for him. And it was just like yeah. one that f- was under the radar. So that's, yeah, that's why I bring a, it up. That's a yeah. good choice because it, I'm instantly thinking about Butcher's Crossing. This is coming out in the Netherlands uh, in May, I think, uh, where he uh, is acting. But also, I think in that movie, he's going to be bald. So he is bald, that, yes. Yeah, so that in, in comparison to Army of One, where he has that long hair. Long hair, yeah. He has... He can do everything. <laughs> so Butcher's Crossing was at the Toronto International Film Festival, so I saw it there. Yeah. Oh, you already saw it because you know. I did. I, I, is it? Can I ask? Maybe it's a spoiler, <laughs> but what what do you think? Uh, it was good. I would say again that it's one of those things where I think Cage is better than the film, but um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's good. It's something different for him. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. <laughs> It's when I get to Europe, I'm just going to sit there in cinema and gawk in awe. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's really interesting because uh, The Old Way is now a film that a lot of, like, trailers are out for. Yeah. And it's, like, a traditional Western. But, like, Butcher's Crossing is also a Western. So it's just interesting how he has these, like, phases of, you know, he did a bunch of horror movies or, like, horror-esque movies all mm-hmm. at once. And then now he's doing... A, a couple of westerns it's like and then you know he's done action movies together and some comedies together and stuff it just seems like he's always looking for some new thing to try and maybe he tries a couple at a exactly. time exactly when you think he's gonna make a left turn or a right turn he makes a u-turn up a mountain <laughs> yeah exactly and i i always i'm always thinking like well, what the hell was this? Or what the, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yes. uh, you describe this also in your book. Like, this is something that he craves. That, that, that feeling of what the fuck and what the hell. <laughs> yeah. But why does uh, he want his audience to feel that way? Because I'm thinking, uh, because he also said that this is in your book. There is an audience for his action film. There's an audience for his uh, more uh, sunshine period that breaks up his audience. So why say, hey, what the fuck, every time? (laughs) Right. Um, I think he said, like, more recently, after my book came out, that um, he doesn't look at his body of work as a career. He looks at it as, like, a job. So he's a guy that goes to a job. So each one, I think he kind of takes on its own like I'm just going to work and <laughs> while I I still stand behind the you know that I said I think he's he's choosing things because he sees a challenge in whatever it is that he's taking on um yeah. that there's something for him to learn or something new for him to try so I think maybe the fact that he doesn't look at it as a career I'm sure he's like thankful for his audience but I don't think he's necessarily thinking about like what do people expect from me he's thinking more like what's what can i learn what can i bring you know what new thing can i try so i think that just automatically leads to it being weird (laughs) also he's i think he's just honestly a a strange guy (laughs) and i think (laughs) that he's just bringing himself a lot to the to the stuff that he's making (laughs) 
Yeah, well, you, you, you um, talk about this in the book that, you know, he has those dinosaur bones and um, with the snake with two heads that he is a bit eccentric and a bit weird. Um, but my question on that is, is his behavior, is that influencing some, is it influencing the choices that he makes or is it vice versa? What is that relationship? That's a good question. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> I try. I, I don't know. Like, I think, uh, I don't remember who I was talking to about this, but there, we have a theory that because Nicolas Cage grew up in, like, a uh, sort of famous family, well, a definitely famous family, but yeah, his course, side yeah. of the family was less famous than the Francis Ford Coppola side of the family. But um, I think... There And because he, you know, started acting at 18 and he's been in this like world of fame for so long, I mm -hmm. think you can only have normalcy in your life to, to such a degree. Like it's not, it, his life can't be normal. <laughs> it can't be like what we see as normal life. Yeah. So I think that that automatically influences him just because yeah. he can't, he just can't be a normal person. <laughs> That's not possible, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think so, yeah. It's what Bill Burr says that um, the first really famous person in the world was Elvis, and he made all the wrong decisions. And stardom has these weird qualities, um, which ultimately brings us to Cage, because it's also world famous uh, and an Elvis fan. So that yes, marriage of ideas true. comes out. <laughs> Idolizes Elvis. I think too, like with all the money that he has or had or whatever, that um, that plays into his ability to, to try all of the things like the owning of a two-headed snake and like all those things that, you know, somebody might aspire to. I don't know. That's a bit of a strange thing to aspire to, but you know what I mean? Somebody else might be like, I'd love to have a two-headed snake, but they wouldn't have the means to do it. He just yeah. has the means to try all, like buy all these dinosaur bones and whatever. Yeah. A haunted house with a couple of friends. Yeah, that's something I'm going to do this summer. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Well, you're talking here about his family and he has, he has a very famous family. The Coppolas are great uh you know the godfather and all that but mm -hmm. uh you also talk in the book about his mom mom mm -hmm. was a dancer also was institutionalized in what way did him his mom inspire or influence him in the road that cage went on yeah i mean i speculated that the dancing bit like the movement the specific movements that he and the fact that he thinks about movement is potentially mm -hmm. inspired by his mother um, so that's one, but I know too that he has said that he grew up really afraid that the mental illness that she had ran in the family and that he was bound oh. to also be institutionalized and like have a mental illness problem. So he, I think, is inspired by that fear of that, mm -hmm. like the fear that he might be institutionalized or might have the same issues that she had. Um, I don't know exactly how that plays into, but I mean, I guess as an actor, uh, just, um, you know, observing other people and other, like, people's characteristics and stuff leads, you know, you use all of that 
yeah. in creating your work. So, yeah. Yeah, you, you, you do because he's, he builds characters from different places uh, to com yeah, create something truly unique. And I think with the fear of mental illness, he wants to try out as much as he can possibly. Yeah, yeah, while well, he can, exactly. Yeah. yeah, he says being comfortable is not an option. You have to sometimes be uncomfortable to learn things. So maybe that fear is this, if I can be uncomfortable, I can learn something new. If it becomes something that I know, I can't be afraid anymore. It's maybe, I'm just speculating here. It's right. that gut feeling, like this is something with tension, with electricity in it. This is what I need to do. So mm -hmm. now he's a cowboy. <laughs> yeah, he needs to be a cowboy right now. Is there any time in Cage's career that you said, what the fuck? This is a move that I did not foresee you doing. Hmm. I'm looking at the IMDb. The IMDb. I'm scanning what the, the hell IMDb. did you make? Um, I I feel like yes. I feel like I've seen some things. I mean, there's there's little runs of films that he does that I'm like, stop, stop doing. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, like, uh, my my book came out in 2015, and at that point, he'd had a pretty good run, because right-ish, like, Joe was 2013, so it was at the height of me, like, writing the book, so I was like, he is, he's coming back, he's doing great things. Not that he ever went anywhere, but he's coming yeah, back. <laughs> exactly, not that he ever went anywhere. Um, but then... Once my book came out, I feel like there was a run of movies that weren't amazing, like uh, Arsenal, Inconceivable, <laughs> The Humanity Bureau. Oh, I don't yeah, know. The Humanity Bureau, yeah. Like Looking Glass, <laughs> 211. Like some of those weren't the greatest. Like I, I feel like after my book came out, there was at least four movies that I was like, oof, if I've had had to like defend those in my book i'm not sure i could have done it um but then he you know does things like color out of space and mandy and uh, i'm trying to pig. look see was the pig of course prisoners of the ghost land was pretty great that is such a great but weird film yes um, just the color of it and the masks. There is so much to unpack in that film. I love that. And Mandy, I adore Mandy. Not only because yeah. it has a Belgian side to that story, because it's been filmed in the Ardennes, uh, but also the fact that the color purple and red are so into that movie. Just every picture is a frame. Oh, absolutely. It's fantastic. But the Humanity Bureau, I've talked about this on the podcast with Justine. And we both look at that movie and said, the idea we love. Great idea. Cage, mm -hmm. great actor. But why is that guy in a pool to talk to his henchmen? We don't understand that. <laughs> and it's filled with yeah. those weird ideas that we think, mm, we don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's always, I think it's always disappointing when he does something that is just kind of blah, like the film is just kind of, eh. 
you know, it's it's okay if he does something that's just like so out there that you're like, it's not necessarily a good movie, but it's just wild. Like, why yeah, did that happen? Yeah. Then you're like, that was great. <laughs> um, but yeah, when he does something where you're just like, oh, I don't have any feelings when that ended, and that's too bad. That's not what you want. And and I don't. That doesn't happen a lot. Like again, no. he does so many films. Um, it's it's incredible that that has happened only a handful of times uh, when True. he's putting out like five films a year. <laughs> yeah, but, but because yeah. he's that machine of, of getting to every detail, everything is, is properly placed and he goes through all of those motions to get there. He never phones it in. Never does. Exactly. He does not. He's always present. And the idea that he still looks for new ways, like... Uh, I've written them down here, like Western Kabuki, German Expressionism, Realism, Nouveau Shamanic. These are all new ways of, of not only observing, but obtaining the craft to make it your own. Mm-hmm. Is there a method that Nicolas Cage prefers, or is it all equal to him? That's interesting. Um... I was thinking about that this morning. I was thinking about the whole Western Kabuki thing and thinking mm-hmm. that if I had a chance, because I haven't ever spoken to him, but if I were to speak to him, I would ask him if Western Kabuki is something that he continues or if it was really mm-hmm. a Ghost Rider thing, because I feel like he talked about it around Ghost Rider and it was really strongly something he used to like put makeup on even though he wasn't going to be seen because they were animating over his face, but it was like helping him to create the character. And I do wonder how that plays into any of his other films and if it does. Um, So yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like I would say realism is definitely not something that he relies on a lot. (laughs) Yeah. He he spat it out. I was done. I need to to wipe the face of realism clean and just go somewhere else. That's I think great. surrealism is probably the closest thing that, like, he's not always doing surreal things. I think he's doing it when he has the opportunity to do it. Um, and maybe he does it sometimes when one wouldn't expect, like, in a film you wouldn't expect. Um, but, yeah, I feel like that's something I can see more in his films. Yeah, I get, I totally get that because... It's a different approach to reality in surrealism. The dreamlike state that you mentioned in the book is something that he finds very interesting to mm-hmm. not only see what's out there, but to enhance it or decrease it, to get you to observe and, and entertain reality as a completely different notion. Yeah. Totally. Totally. I found it very interesting that you, the, the fact that he, for, um, Ghost Rider 2 that he had that makeup on and that jacket with the lining in from different animals. Oh yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought, wow, that is great to get that click in your mind. Okay, I am not a human, I am this being. Which would have been great uh, for, for that Superman film with Kevin Smith, that if he could portray, I am not a human, I am an alien on a human world, I think that would be so great. It is one of the great tragedies of our time that that movie never came out because I just feel like it would be so incredible to see what he would have done with it. Like, I think also just the fact that it was a Tim Burton thing, it would have been so interesting to see what they could have done together. Exactly. That would have been 
amazing. Now he has done a voice of Superman. Yes. And he has <laughs> done a, a voice uh, of Spider-Man Noir. So he has been living his Marvel DC yeah. comic book journey. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I I'm happy for him <laughs> that he can do I, that. I honestly feel like, and this I don't know. One of the iconic characters that I'm really excited he gets to play is Dracula coming up in the Redfield yes. film. Redfield. Oh. <laughs> that is going to be amazing. amazing. <laughs> I just yeah. hope that there is like a wink to Vampire's Kiss. It's like a sentence or anything like that. Yeah. That would be <laughs> I hope so. so that great. would be great. Yeah. <laughs> or like I, in the uh, so background exciting. that you see a shop with like these fake teeth. Oh, yes, of course. Cheapies. <laughs> the, cheap, the cheap ones. Because I love it. Oh, it would oh, be so great. Favorite. It's my favorite thing in that movie where he just goes, cheapie. <laughs> when the guy says we have cheapies. <laughs> oh, I love it. It is so, such a great film. Uh, difficult to find in Belgium because... Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can't find it anywhere. I had uh, to find it through a friend of a friend who had it on DVD because we have we we have Amazon but it's not that common we have something called bold.com which is Amazon but in blue and they do not have the film oh yeah yeah but That's i've seen tough. it i love it and if it That's ever good. comes back to cinema i'm there yes uh, talking about genius things and genius movies uh, you start off chapter three of your book cage against the machine by the way i love your titles in the, in the book <laughs> oh thank they you they are amazing they are you uh, you start off nicholas cage is a genius <laughs> oh yes and <laughs> <laughs> uh, i first i thought yes oh wait you have arguments um okay can you, could you elaborate on that for our listeners and our viewers oh. God, I mean, it's been a while since I read my books, and I don't remember why I said he was oh, a genius. Oh, shit, I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, so I don't know if this refl is reflective of what I said. <laughs> um, why is he a genius? I mean, I, st I stand behind it. <laughs> okay, you tell me. Why did I say he's ah, a okay. genius? <laughs> yes, I'll answer my own questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you talked that there is uh, a test that has been devised. Like, uh, oh, that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like if you've been doing the same thing, yes or no, or been elaborating on the crafts, uh, making choices that are out of your comfort zone, that you can be labeled as an artistic genius. And he is that. And above all, uh, Chuck Klosterman said, uh, because he is adherent to the advanced genius theory, that Cage is an advanced genius. Yes. And he bases that on three movies, The Wicker Man, The Weatherman, and Bad Lieutenant Protocol, New Orleans. Right. <laughs> um, I was wondering why those three movies, because... That's a great question. So uh, <laughs> this is maybe bad journalism, but I... Uh... Basically, I, uh, a friend of mine went to see Chuck Klosterman. Uh, he mm -hmm. was in Toronto, like, touring a book. And she asked him, on my behalf, because I wasn't there, <laughs> she asked him, is he a genius? 
And then, and like, specifically in this advanced genius theory, because it's somebody else's theory, but Chuck Klosterman's written about it quite a bit. Yeah. And so uh, he said yes, and then he just said it was those three movies. That was just relayed to me by a friend, <laughs> which I do say. I think I say a yeah, friend yeah, of mine. Yeah, you say it in, yeah. like in a footnote. Um, yeah, so I don't have the, the background. I wasn't there to ask follow-up questions, <laughs> so I don't yeah. know why he chose those films. Um, but I feel like Wicker Man, I could see why someone would say that that fits into the advanced genius theory because that theory is kind of, and it's been a long time since I've read it, so I might be applying it wrong, but like a bit of what it seems like on the surface is that if you can look at somebody and see that they were like really popular at doing something for a while and then they switch to something else that is really unpopular with the public, mm -hmm. uh, that and like seems bad. <laughs> that in that that and I don't think that alone but that is kind of the signifier of advanced genius so he I think that you know the author points to like Bob Dylan switching to electric and like uh, uh, Neil Young doing like oh crap I'm not gonna remember the name of the the album that Neil Young did that was all like weird experimental stuff so that kind of thing um so I think I could see somebody like Chuck Losterman saying Wicker Man is evidence of advanced mm. genius because it is something that people point to as like bad. <laughs> but like we, the fans, can look at it and say like he's in on the joke of that film. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not serious. <laughs> it's not exactly. a serious film. Yeah, it's not a serious adaptation or whatever. And so, um, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, because I, I think if you get into a bear costume and hit a nun, then, yeah, that is a joke. <laughs> right, like, that's not a serious thing, yeah. What were the, the other two that he said? Weatherman and... Oh, wait, uh, me and my Sorry. notes. The Wicker... No, no, just me and chaos. Uh, the Wicker Man, the Weatherman, and Bad Lieutenant. Protocol, New Orleans, Ooh, Van Herzog. Bad Lieutenant. I mean, again, Bad Lieutenant is... It, comes across interestingly because like Wicker Man, people interpret it as a adaptation, a uh, even though it absolutely isn't. Yeah, or mm. a sequel, though it's like has nothing to do with Bad Lieutenant, the original. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's There's a lot going on in Bad Lieutenant, and I can see maybe that, the fact that it's just such an intense character that he's playing and a, like a very unlikable mm -hmm. kind of character. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's very unlikable, but it's also the, the cinematography that it's uh, with Steadicam, it's with a handheld thingy, uh, the iguanas that are there but not there, so you can see that he has popped up on drugs. It's an interesting... I, I love that film because it's not about the crime story at all. It's about him trying to survive and continue because at the end of the case when everything is said and done he goes back to that parking lot of that discotheque and starts again so I it's know. yeah, yeah. This, the story is not the story the story is something else yeah great film i <laughs> it's love so it it's so good it's so good i love it's it it's great <laughs> and it's then a headsock he is a weird but beautiful cinematographer it's it's a great marriage that these two have made that film together. It's just 
a bit sad that it's called Bad Lieutenant because of the film that came before. Exactly. I could see too, now that I'm thinking about what Chuck Klosterman said more, uh, I think these are all films that people are very divided on. Like, mm -hmm. I, Weatherman was really maybe the film that made me a defender of Cage because yeah, I, I watched... I watched it, I really liked it, and then I went to work, and people were like, I watched Weatherman, and that movie was just awful. Like, it was, they hated the dad talking about his daughter's, like, camel toe, and, like, that kind of stuff. They were just like, ah, oh, it's so distasteful, and whatever. And I was like, Cage is so good in this yeah. film. And it's just, uh, it's so good, it's so good. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I was maybe not super articulate in my <laughs> defense of him. I'm sure I was just like, but he's so good. How could you? <laughs> um, but yeah, that was definitely one where I feel like people were just like, he's an unlikable guy. I don't like this movie. And it's like, yeah. well, that's not a good enough reason <laughs> to not like a movie just because he successfully made a character that is yeah, exactly. not likable. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, in theater, you have an entire part of history that is all about distancing yourself from the main character because Die Fremdung. It's entirely that that he does. You don't have to like me. That's not part of this deal. You have mm -hmm. to watch me, mm -hmm. observe me. That's great. It's uh, yeah. It's it's a different influence that Cage uses to learn something new about the craft and also about ourselves. Yeah, we don't like this character. We actually hate him. And yet, and yet, we're there for the entire journey. That's great art. I mean, that's Vampire's Kiss, too. Like, he is a very, yeah. he does some very terrible things in that movie. And yet, still, you're compelled by him and you kind of, I mean, yeah. You're not necessarily uh, unhappy about the ending. Um, <laughs> no. But, but you're like, wow, like, what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, I get that we are fans, and uh, during the entire f uh, filming, I would say, or recording of season one of this podcast, one name has also come up to his defense. That's Roger Ebert. He was mm -hmm. a, a great defender of Cage, love fan. Sadly, he uh, has passed away. Mm -hmm. So besides us, who could be that great defender of the Cage in the review world? Um, that's a great question, and I think I have an answer to that. I just have to remember his name. Nathan Rabin. Nathan, Nathan Rabin. Rabin. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he wrote Nathan. for AV Club, and I don't 100% know what he's up to these days. <laughs> but I did reach out to him to blurb my book, um, and he he was up for reading it, but he was moving, and it was a very – I had, like, a week to, to get people to blurb <laughs> it. So he wasn't available. He couldn't do it. But he is somebody who definitely defends Cage and a lot of his, like, bad – I'm putting air quotes here yeah. – um, movies. Um, so – and he's, you know, higher profile than I am, so I think that oh, he's, yeah. he's a good – Defender. Honestly, Roger Ebert, it's really sad. I mean, uh, it's sad that he died just because it's sad. But um, yeah. I was starting to write this book in 2013, and I was like, one person I'm definitely going to interview is Roger Ebert, and then that's the year that he died. So I couldn't interview him, but I was like 100% planning to 
Um, wow. I didn't interview. I didn't interview a lot of people, especially not high-profile people. But um, I was planning to try <laughs> Ebert <laughs> because he just, yeah, he was a big, he was a big fan and defender. So he would have yeah, been. Yeah, it's 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 crazy to see because I started with the idea that I read that book. I wanted to do this research, putting air quotes as well, that. Mm-hmm. What do the people that uh, in in this country, in my country, think about him or outside of it? And his name keeps popping up. So I did a little googlies, like <laughs> who is he? And yeah, he is the knight in shining armor uh, for Cage on the yeah. round table. And Rabin, well, you mentioned in your book, and I have seen a couple of things, but not too much. Um, still new to this whole podcasting world. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he could be, because um, I have a direct quote here from Rabin that mm-hmm. uh, states, we need key... Wow, English is a different language. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> we need Cage to be crazy in real life or else the lunacy of his performances would feel inauthentic. And uh, we already talked about that. Uh, but that's one of the quotes that I thought was very interesting. We need him to be a bit of a Woody Woodpecker figure uh, so we can believe the things he does. Right. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I, even I'm, I was doing it in this podcast, right? I was saying, like, he's a yeah. strange guy. But, like, <laughs> I think I've seen more evidence of that recently. Like, that wasn't so much in, back in 2013 to 15 when I was writing this book. Uh, I didn't see quite as much of his, like, um, big personality outside (laughs) of Mm -hmm. his films. I think now there's just, there's just more, like, paparazzi stuff around him, and you can see more, like, interesting, uh, things that he has done. Uh, and so, yeah, he just, I mean, I'm not saying he's, he's, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think. He, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think he's probably a very normal, nice guy. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. That's the thing that I find very interesting because I've seen uh, an interview of him that he cartwheels uh, on stage, oh, yeah. high kicks, yeah. buttons up in his shirt, and is like, "Okay, let's talk," and which is. Fantastic, but then he does something like the Wired um, interview that has the autofill that he has to pull the white yeah. tape, and he's down to the earth, very like, totally. okay, these are the answers, I'll give them to you. The greatest one, I think, was um, does Nicolas Cage uh, do method acting? Depends on the method. Walk, throws oh, away the sign. Oh, very good. Greatest answer. <laughs> Ever. That is a good answer. Oh yeah. Did you? Uh, I guess it was. I think it was Wogan that he did that uh, flip think, and yeah. the throwing out money and whatever. I don't know if you saw when he was doing press for Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. He said that when he created that other Cage character, mm-hmm. like the younger version of himself that came to talk to him, that he was thinking of that 
version of himself, like oh. that version that flipped out onto Wogan because he's he doesn't really see that as him. Like he feels like that's just something he did. He feels like that guy's an asshole. <laughs> so it's like not him really. Like and so he's like, I just wanted to be that asshole for my like for my alter ego guy. And so like I thought that was kind of great that like even if people watch that and go, ugh, like I don't like Nicholas Cage, look at that. <laughs> it's like Nicholas Cage doesn't like that either. <laughs> <laughs> because he has mentioned that this that was a great challenge to perform a version of himself mm -hmm. um, and um, this is a for me great story but a bit of a sad story as well I've seen the film here uh, in Ghent in a small artsy cinema and uh, it was on a Sunday and I was all alone in oh, that movie theater that is sad That is sad because I had no one to share it with. But on the other hand, this is the first time ever I had an entire movie uh, cinema room. Wow, movie cinema room for yeah. myself. So I enjoyed the heck out of that film. Yeah. Um, and normally uh, when I'm recording this um, on, with different cameras and all of that, uh, there is the giant cutout of Nicolas Cage from Unbearable uh, Weight of Massive Talent uh, behind me. Oh, so uh, I couldn't pop him up here uh, because it was a bit too difficult with, uh, you know, there's no space behind me right. because I'm sitting in a big chair. But uh, he is present. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. And uh, of course, for all the listeners and the viewers, I still have my shirt from Nicolas Cage and a Teletubby son on me. So... No worries. <laughs> Because that's a different story right there uh, with the, the making fun of him and the memes. Um, I'm going to start by asking you, do you have a favorite meme of Nicolas Cage? Or a format of favorite meme? Yeah, I think my favorite format is his face on things. Like when people would put his face on other actors or on other like objects even. <laughs> <laughs> like as a bunny rabbit, as other things, because yep. I feel like that was really fodder for what I was arguing about him as being a successful actor in a way that a lot of people who would say he wasn't a good actor, uh, mm. proof that they were wrong was that these memes took the form of like putting his face on different things and people feeling like it was a natural thing, like no matter what they put his face on, even if it was like a pickle or something like that, they would just, it's like believable. And it's like, well, if you, if that's the truth, then he's the everyman. He's like, yeah. he can be anything. He can morph into all these different things. And so I think that's why that's my favorite uh, style of meme because it's just evidence. Yeah, More evidence. And, <laughs> and and the proof that he can we believe him as an actor that he can perform all these parts yeah. and that of course they can morph into anything uh, is that what you call caging because uh, <laughs> you've talked about a meme yes. form called caging have you ever been the <clears throat> victim of caging <laughs> caging <laughs> no <laughs> I haven't I have oh really <laughs> yeah I what? think it was for Valentine's Day my partner said, I got a surprise for you. Uh -huh. So I said, hello. I kissed uh, my partner and then I went to the living room and there was nothing out of the ordinary for me. And then I found out on the different pictures in the house, there was a cage's face on my laptop, oh, on the toilet yes. seat, in books. 
I think it took about four to five months that I found the last face of Cage. There was an agenda that was for next year. Inside that agenda was a Cage face. Oh my god, that's incredible. I don't think that's happened (laughs) to me. (laughs) I have, I've been like at fault for doing that. I I had a Christmas tree one year that just had Nicolas Cage's, like different Nicolas Cage faces hanging from it. Wow. what else? Oh, well, I mean, I guess the the closest to that is that during the pandemic, you know that pillow that is like sequins and it, yeah. it like it's all red or it's Nicolas Cage's face. Uh, two people mailed me that pillowcase <laughs> over the pandemic. One was my publisher and one was a friend, but he just addressed it from Nicolas Cage. So, like, I ha- it took a while to figure out who it actually was that oh, sent wow. it to me because he didn't put his name. Um, and then, just like a few weeks ago, my neighbor brought one over and gave it to me. And I was oh. like, now I have three. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> I seem like gift. I'm obsessed with Nicolas Cage, but it's not all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> well... Yeah, uh, because I've already seen that you have done appearances on other Cage podcasts to talk about him. You've written the book. So to me, you're my first special uh, ever and my first international guest ever because I thought, who to talk better? Nick Cage shop. <laughs> oh, thank so you. Oh, if you, you're welcome because I think like, I don't want you to... Be like, okay, this is the only thing I can talk about. I'm sure you have many other interests. That's okay. <laughs> I <laughs> like <cage>. talking about <laughs> him. Interestingly, uh, the like again, my my book came out in 2015, so it's like not the newest uh, Cage thing. There's been a, at least one big Cage book since my book. Um, mm-hmm. But when uh, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent came out, people started coming out of the woodwork for me again. Like, wow. Somebody was writing an article for the BBC and wanted me to comment on him. Somebody was, oh, uh, an NPR radio show wanted to talk to me about him. And then a PR company in Toronto that was, like, promoting the movie Mm -hmm. uh, asked me if they could promote me as, like, an expert to, like, talk about the movie. And so they sent me to see the movie. Uh, You know, nobody wanted to talk to me, so nothing came of that. But at least uh, I got to see the movie before it came out, which was kind of cool. So I felt like a a little bit of a cage celebrity for a minute (laughs) again recently. So I don't mind. I love it when people reach out to me about it because it's like, yay, somebody's still reading my book. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. It was totally not... Yeah, totally by accident, actually, because I was looking at some YouTube and I saw Nicolas Cage, good or bad. It was a video essay and he mentioned your book. So I paused the video and I said, wait, there's a book. (laughs) And uh, I went to my bookshops in uh, in Ghent, but they said, yeah, we we can't get that book. We were not able to obtain that. So I went to the publisher and they sent it internationally. Oh, so, that's good. That's good yeah, to know. It, there you go, ECW Press. They'll send internationally. <laughs> yeah, man. So get it. It's it's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you also uh, back to the, the the memes of it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is one instance that you said in your book that Cage is on to the joke of the memes that he had a "you don't say" meme on a, on shirt. a shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Would that be? His, do you think it's his favorite Biggest? meme? 
Maybe. I, I, I doubt Cage knows about all of them because I don't think he's really somebody who's like looking at the internet a whole heck of a lot. It seems mm-hmm. like, it seems that that's what he has said in the past. Um, but I, that was a big one. And yeah. I, you know, yeah, I could see that being the one that at least he knows about the most. Also, I feel like there's an outtake. Which movie is it from? Is it from the trust? There was something, I just came upon it again because someone had like posted it on my Facebook page. And so I got one of those like, Five years ago today, this is something that was posted, oh. and it was an outtake, I think, oh, was it Doggy Dog? Was it The Trust? It was one of those films, and where he just went, you don't say, and he, like, did the face <laughs> and stuff, but he said, you don't say, even though that's not what he's saying in, in uh, Vampire's Kiss and that face, but, yeah, so he said it, and so, yeah, he's definitely in on that meme for sure. <laughs> that's so great. It's so great to hear because... You know, if if you see yourself popping up on the internet everywhere, yeah, you, you kind of have to go with it because people are doing it. For instance, for instance on, on Instagram, if you type in Nicolas Cage in the gift section, you always get that Con Air thing that he waves oh, the hair his blow. hair. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the favorites. And now with Massive Talent, you get a few uh, punches and nods. Yeah, that's uh, a good one. Yeah, I love those. Uh, <laughs> We're coming up to the end of uh, this special, uh, and I have a couple of questions for you to end this on, on an interesting note, I hope. Okay. One of the great things that Nicolas Cage says that he's always a student, he will never be the master, he's always learning things. But if we had to put a stop on that, that he has to become the master, not the student anymore. Mm-hmm. How would that look like? When could that happen? Hmm. I don't know. I think I feel like maybe that's if he ever stopped acting and became a director or something. I could see that being mm-hmm. the case. Um, but I don't. I don't know. I don't really see him doing that. I think he loves acting. He has, I mean, he, you know this, he's directed one movie, yeah. um, but it was a long time ago. So it's like, it, does he have aspirations to be a director? He could have done that probably by now if he if he had big aspirations. Yeah. Um, well, he, he, he did it once. So again, yeah. that's that fear of, I don't know what that is. It's that you turn again, now I'm directing. Let's try it. Yeah. I, I'd say it didn't take because he didn't do it again. But who knows? I mean, maybe he's waiting for a couple decades and then he's like, I'll try it again and see what it's like now. Who knows? Um, yeah, I don't know what it looks like. I mean, I tried when I was writing this book to think of who a comparable actor is to him. Like if there's anybody who's doing similar things or like who's learning from him. I think that, you know, a number of actors who've worked with him like Jay Baruchel and like, uh, uh, wow, his name was just in my head and it's gone. Um, from the trust, what's his name? Um, I don't know. I'm let so me scroll to the name. trust. I'm going to scroll to the trust and find out. But he also produced Mandy, I think. Um, his name is Elijah Wood. Um, oh, yeah, Frodo. Yes. Elijah Wood is like a big, uh, I think, like fan and learns quite a bit from Nicolas Cage. So, but I said in my book that I thought James Franco was kind of Nicolas Cage-esque. And I thought that before I thought about the fact that he's the main actor in the movie 
that Nicolas Cage directed. <laughs> um, and and he actually plays the role that Nicolas Cage would have played if he'd made that movie like yeah. decades before when he was young enough to play that actor but or that role. But um, I was thinking it more because I, you know, I say that Nicolas Cage is always trying to learn new things and he was doing all that weird, weird, <laughs> in quotes, stuff where he was like doing... Uh, soap operas and like things you wouldn't expect a big actor to do. Um, but I don't know. I don't even know what James Franco is doing anymore. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that holds up anymore, but <laughs> I have no yeah. idea. The last thing I saw of James Franco was the disaster artist a couple of years oh, yeah. ago. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> no idea. <laughs> no idea. No idea. Um, is there a dream project from you that you would love to see Nicolas Cage do? Like, oh, if you could do this book or this video game or whatever. Oh, that's a good question. Huh. I don't know. For the longest time, I wanted him to do horror movies, and then he went and did, like, a whole whack of them. So that was, like, I, I feel like my dream has been fulfilled, and now I have a harder time thinking of what it would be. Um... Uh, he has said he wants to do a musical and I want to see what that looks like. <laughs> oh, wow. I want him to do that. Yeah. Come on. Let's just let the man sing and dance. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Because as much as like, he's not a like classically good singer, but he sings in so many of his movies. I've yeah. created Twitter threads of like all his singings, uh, like scenes from movies where he sings, at least the ones <laughs> where I could find clips. Um, and there's quite a lot. There's like more than you would expect. So um, I think it would be pretty fun to see him do more of that. Great. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and the final thing that I want to talk to you about is the end of your book um, where you you talk about that you can care, you can uh, have some dedication, um, trying, hope, and uh, he is hacking away at the idea of what is good. Mm -hmm. How is he doing, according to you? <laughs> um, I think... I think people are catching up. Like, I feel like since my book came out, I think, and not, I'm not taking credit for this, but I, I think that more people are on board with mm. what he's doing. And like, yeah, I'm seeing other people like not in Toronto making <laughs> cage clubs or at least having like a friend that they watch all of his movies with and, you know, post on Instagram about it and things like that. So I think, uh, I don't know. I feel like there's more more people on board that he's good. Um, and maybe that means that people are willing to accept more experimental things as being good instead of having this, like, very Oscars uh, approach yeah. to, like, what's good and what's not. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe we're all evolving. Maybe <laughs> we're all evolving. To catch up with Cage, yeah. He's just the ahead of his time. Oh, of yeah, he is. There are a couple of movies where I think, yeah, just you're ahead of your time. Just you have to wait for the right audience to find this film. Mm -hmm. The final question of each episode is, do you think Nicolas Cage is a national treasure? But in doing so, we have discovered uh, that that is the wrong question for me to ask. Yes. 
international. So, is he an international treasure? Yeah, you know what's funny? I wanted to call my book International Treasure because I'm also not in the States. I'm in Canada. So yeah. I was like, he's an international treasure. Also, I feel like when I was writing the book, a lot of people were telling me, like, people in China love Nicolas Cage. And I was like, okay. Um, and I actually went to China as I was writing the book, not for research, but I did. I was in Tibet, and I was always wearing a Nicolas Cage button. And a guy was like, pointing at my button and like, whoa, Nicolas Cage. And so I took a picture of me and the guy like pointing at my button so just to cool. come home and be like, see, people in other countries also <laughs> love Nicolas Cage. Um, but yeah, so I also felt like he's an international treasure and I didn't want to just call the book National Treasure, but it just, I don't know, made sense, I guess, to call it National Treasure. So that's what it's called. But yes, I agree. He is an international treasure. Fantastic. Lindsay Gibb, I want to thank you tremendously enormously and gigantically for being on this podcast and for being uh, my first ever special that's great i'm very honored <laughs> uh, i'm happy to announce to all my listeners and my viewers that this is not the end because starting in march uh, yeah march uh, season two will come out with guests like jan verheyen like uh, Robin Bros, Lisa de Vrieze, all these great people who are making and producing films or reviewing them or making art about Nicolas Cage are coming together in my studio uh, and other places to talk about the greatest actor ever lived. Lindsay Gibb, thank you so much and I wish you a great day today. You too, thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> <Bye. laughs> Well, there you have it, the special with Lindsay Gibb. I want to thank her one last time for talking to me and to all the listeners. You've heard it. We are coming back with season two of National Treasure. We'll be back on the 2nd of March 2023 with new episodes, new guests, new movies, same old cage. Or is he? I can't wait for you guys to hear what we have. Thank you again and take care. Bye-bye. Nicholas Cage Podcast. Na 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 na. Natural Treasure.